tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back in some regards and welcome to the How to Bet the Preakness Stakes podcast. We had so much fun leading up to the Kentucky Derby. Thought we'd do it again for the Preakness Stakes. Unfortunately for me, uh, the Derby itself, not so fun. Uh, Definitely was not on the winner and uh, the two behind him uh, weren't really my cup of tea among the long shots either. So uh, not a great uh, Kentucky Derby for me, but I do think some of the strategies uh, we discussed uh, came to fruition if you were on the right horses. So as always, uh, racing uh, an interesting mix of having the right opinion and and betting them accordingly. Uh, And I do think if I were right about uh, classic Empire Irish war cry, I'd be in the same boat as those uh, who are celebrating with Always Dreaming. Uh, a couple people I know who did very well in the race basically keyed on him, went very deep elsewhere, and caught some very nice uh, numbers underneath. So uh, 5-1-11, I'm an idiot, but, you know, in some parallel universe, 14-1-11, I'm a genius. So that's how racing goes. And I know uh, no one knows it better than I do and and others than Scott Shapiro, who joined me for several uh, Derby podcasts and is back with me to kick off Preakness Week. Scott, how are you? Doing well, Ed. We have a uh, picturesque day here in Southern California after uh, a lot of poor days for our standards. But uh, hoping that weather can spread to Maryland and we can have a good uh, weather weekend, if you will, in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, certainly, uh, as you and I discussed, uh, more offline than, than on the podcast is at the time we didn't know what the weather would be like. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, weather is a part of racing and you deal with off conditions, uh, you know, po- possibly on a daily basis. But uh, always nice to get good weather for the big events. And uh, for me, uh, Oaks especially, really a, a washout and derby uh, took away some of the enjoyment, but uh, from a gambling perspective, uh, that you know might provide the excuses some are looking for to try to beat Always Dreaming. Yeah, it's interesting to to think about what role the weather might have had. I can see the angle that you can forgive some of the horses in the Derby and over the weekend that that may not have run. I am on the side that Always Dreaming was the best horse in the field on that day, regardless of whether his ability to work out his own trip with tactical speed was a, is a huge advantage. And at this point, he just, to me, is the best horse in this crop. It'll be interesting to see hopefully him run over a fast track against some of those rivals. But I have a hard time with the uh, opinion that he won the race because of the surface. Yeah, it's hard for me to disagree. I mean, certainly on the first point, I 100% agree. He was best on Derby Day. Now, my big conviction going into Preakness Week is this. Basically, if 
you aren't always dreaming. Uh, there's no reason to to get off him even at a much shorter price. I mean, if you thought he was fast, nine to two was a gift. Uh, even money, not as much so, but he's you know facing less depth. Uh, the, the talent isn't quite there in the Preakness as it was in the Derby. So you know, to me, no reason to get off. But if you're like me and and thought he was vulnerable, uh, this is. I mean, the, the Belmont's another issue with a mile and a half and three races in five weeks. But from a, you know, can you beat them with the horses you really like standpoint, this definitely seems to be the last opportunity. And, you know, for me, Classic Empire, a huge fan, really wanted to see him win the Derby. Fact is, he hasn't moved forward off uh, what I thought was a spectacular two-year-old season. And, uh, that I mean, that's a problem for people who handicap three-year-old racing. By now, we, we should have seen a breakthrough. Um, I'm willing to give him another chance because of the price, but uh, it's getting hard to have that conviction uh, the later in the season we get. Yeah, it's interesting because before Nyquist won, there was kind of that narrative that, you know, the juvenile winner can't win the Derby or won't win the Derby or obviously hadn't won the Derby. Um, it, it kind of got ignored this year. But overall, I tend to go with the philosophy that sometimes the best two-year-olds peak a lot earlier than other horses, and that is why they're so successful those years. It doesn't mean that they can't win a big race like the Kentucky Derby or the Preakness, but it's hard sometimes for them to, to go through the, the big two-year-old races and continue to move forward like you need to do to be competitive at three. He's a horse where I totally understand the angle he had a bit, the multiple angles. A, he had a bad trip uh, compared to the winner and compared to most in the Kentucky Derby. B, he may have been a little short because he didn't have the extended prep season with the gap in there. I'm just starting to struggle with, A, his ability to seemingly not work out ideal trips like Always Dreaming does. And B, like you say, he just hasn't moved forward. And it just seems like it's a plethora of excuses are very legitimate, but I'm starting to wonder if he's not one of those horses that doesn't create some of his own issues himself. Yes, fair, fair concern, uh, without a doubt. Uh, well, going into to this Preakness, uh, as always, the Derby winner does get the attention. Uh, what price will be uh, remains to be seen. Uh, you know, a lot of people saying even money, six to five, uh, some even saying odds on, and certainly history on the win end seems to say odds on more likely than not. Uh, Nyquist was seven to ten. California Chrome was one to two. Uh, Orb was seven to ten. Big Brown was one to five going that far back. Um, even Super Saver was favored over looking at Lucky. Uh, we did have the year where Bodie Meister was favored over all of another um, and they still ran one two, as they did in the Derby. But uh, to me, uh, I'm thinking about four to five. What's your sense on the board for always dreaming? Yeah, four to five is what I uh, told a few folks as of today, at least that I foresee. Without always dreaming, having any of the issues that he seemingly had in Kentucky with maybe uh, being a little anxious, he seems to be thriving. There's not, you know, none of that negative attention, if you will, that may, you know, keep people doubting. To me, it's real hard to get past them in this spot. Uh, you can look towards maybe Todd Pletcher's, you know, two-week angle, but to me, that's limited and not, you know, it doesn't include any Derby winners other than Super Saver, who none of us really 
considered any sort of triple crown contender at the time, I, I, I would, you know, risk to say. So I'm thinking four to five as well, Ed. You know, maybe you get even money if we get a little hype on one of these newer horses. But but I'm, I'm just not seeing, especially to the public eye, a lot of better options. And, you know, maybe it seems like easy money for a, a horse that should get a, a great trip again. Yeah, and, and to the point point you mentioned about hype, uh, it's, it's definitely not there. Uh, you know, Classic Empire, I guess, is, is an alternative. Um, but if anything, he's he's losing hype, really. Uh, and then after that, uh, Hence was, was sort of a quasi-hype horse going into the Derby. I was on board, as I know you were. Uh, he never really ran. Um, you know, we'll get the same price. So to me, if you're willing to give a mulligan, uh, you can do worse than what you'll get on him. Uh, looking at Lee feels like last time was the time at uh, 30 to 1. He's going to be way shorter in the Preakness. Uh, you know, the secret's out. He's not for me, uh, having missed him last time. Uh, and then, you know, after that, uh, you're just sort of, I don't want to say stabbing, multiplier fits on numbers, conquest mo money. People like what they've seen from him, but. Uh, it, it, to me, it, it's all a gamble. I mean, always dreaming runs back to the Derby. It's hard to make a case for anyone else. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on just about everything you said, Ed. Um, in terms of always dreaming, there's, you know, going into the last race, you could have made a case that maybe he could have regressed, even though it was a little bit of a longer layoff. He kind of ran this very similar to that real impressive Florida Derby. So it, it's just hard to make a case. When you look at the uh, horses, uh, that you mentioned, Conquest, Mo Money, Multiplier, the, the quote-unquote new shooters. I think Multiplier probably ran the race that was most impressive to my eye and on numbers in the Illinois Derby. He did make a real nice late run uh, in the uh, Illinois Derby, which is obviously lesser, but does look like he has some upside. You mentioned Conquest, Mo Money also, a gritty horse that probably has the best chance to, to, to fight on maybe for an underneath effort of the new bunch. But to me, you know, he doesn't, he didn't run straight uh, at all in that Arkansas Derby. He was kind of all in uh, well earlier than I would like to have seen. So I, I have my questions on how it goes with the uh, omission of um, Royal Mo, unfortunately, that kind of made things easier for both Conquest Mo Money and Always Dreaming. So he could potentially be a part of a, a less than contentious pace and hang around. And then you mentioned, hence, you know, the horse, the horse did have a less than ideal voyage, but the more I watch it, it's just, it's a lot to ask. He, that, that, that Sunland Derby could very well be an outlier at this point. It's hard to know. I know the barn thinks highly of the horse and they did going into the Derby. And, you know, I, I was on the horse, as you said, you are to an extent. I was even more so. It's going to be a lot to ask for Hens to turn the tables in this race. So, yeah, you begin to look at the field and, and you just wonder who it is that is going to beat Always Dreaming. It probably will take Always Dreaming regressing for that to happen, in my opinion. I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, now, the regression, uh, you know, couldn't shock a ton of people uh, given, you know, one thing you mentioned, the, the two weeks with Pletcher, um, and Super Saver, to me, is is an interesting horse to key on now. Always Dreaming, I do think, is a different kind than him. He won his grade one prep going into the Derby. Uh, Super Saver uh, did not, and I think at the time Arkansas Derby may have still been a grade two. But nevertheless, the last prep, 
Um, and looking at Lucky seems to be, uh, you know, maybe a, a different type having improved uh, at three, whereas Classic Empire is yet to show that. But Super Saver was, uh, you know, on the off track at Churchill. He got the right kind of ride from his jockey, um, all things that you could say apply uh, to always streaming and super saver, you know, was nowhere in the preakness. He just was never uh, a threat. Uh, I will say this time feels a little different. Pletcher has been at Pimlico. He shipped the horse there straight from the Derby. Um, so, you know, it's not the same and we're seven years later, but to me at four to five, there's some things from the past, especially directly related to Pletcher that say, you know, you you wouldn't be totally out of line taking a shot. I agree. I definitely think that this is a race where my confidence is not high enough on always dreaming, although I see myself picking him to win the race at this point for sure. Not enough confidence to, to play him at a four to five or even money price because of what you mentioned. Um, maybe the maybe the two weeks is gonna be an issue. Maybe the wet track. There's just a couple, you know, there's just things out there that, that make you question whether he's going to run the same race. I think, you know, the, the, the things I look at most and point to most suggest he will, but there's enough in the, in the you know, background uh, stuff that I look at to say, well, I'm not, I'm not willing to, to risk a lot of money at a short price to wager on him. Now, uh, one thing, uh, we have a, a betting guide coming out later this week, um, and one of the articles in there, and, and I've seen some other uh, anecdotes along these lines as well, but, you know, the, the Preakness for as formful as it has been on the win end, uh, we all know there's, you know, some bombs have snuck in underneath, and the, the chalk exacta is actually very rare uh, in the Preakness, which suggests, you know, always dreaming or classic empire. One of them very probably will run well, even when uh, the other won't. Um, are you the type that will make some plays where, okay, yeah, I don't love always dreaming, but if you feel comfortable finding the right horse underneath this, it's more about being right on that horse than it is the winner. Yeah, that's how I, uh, at least five days out, how I'm going to approach this from a wagering perspective. I think, you know, all signs point to Classic Empire being potentially the, the likeliest horse to run second in this race or to, to beat Always Dreaming. But what I see is not enough differentiation between him and the others that are going to be significantly higher prices, not only in the wind pool where I'm not going to wager on them, but more so underneath. Uh, in exactas, in trifectas, in the superfectas. So to me, I will be um, getting a good look at the exacta probables, and I'm expecting from what I've gathered through social media that there's going to be a lot of people betting very heavy, hard, cold exactas or exacta boxes if it's if it's viable, uh, because they think that these two horses are standouts. I I am not of the impression that Classic Empire is a standout over the rest of the field. Like I said, the most likely exacta is probably the, the top two running first or second, but that's where I'm going to be willing to risk a little, to hopefully gain a lot, to take a chance that Classic Empire is, is not moving forward and that he creates some of his own issues. And that two, my, my one major concern outside of things like that is I think the race was hard on him. 
He got banged twice. He ran hard. It wasn't as if, you know, you could look to some of the others that I think didn't have a hard race or a, maybe not a hard race comparatively speaking to those uh, like Classic Empire. Obviously, the Kentucky Derby is not an easy race for any of these three-year-olds. But I think there's a chance that if he's not a super horse that he moves backwards. And, and I'll be looking to to a couple horses that I'm keying in on to play underneath Always Dreaming and Exactas and Trifectas. All right. Uh, and when you say that, do you mean you, you have them in mind or that's sort of your handicapping process this week is you, you sort of know there's going to be value in beating Classic Empire in any of the spots and you want to find the horse to do it or are you, are you already warming to which horses that might be? I've narrowed it down to two or three horses, I think. You know, looking at Lee, like you said, I don't I don't necessarily think he can't run another good race. There's nothing suggesting to me that he, you know, peaked. Granted, he had that ideal trip up the rail, but he's got Corey Lannery again. There's nothing to, to make me think that he can't save ground and pass a lot of tiring horses, however, his price. So... There's horses that I have, a couple that I've narrowed it down to. Conquest, Mo Money, I'm going to give a look to. Hence, as you mentioned, I'm probably willing to give a little bit of a mulligan uh, based on really not running in the race and getting a less than ideal um, ride from Florent Giroux given the track. And then Multiplier is the horse I'm, I'm really interested in. I know the new shooters don't have the best of records in, the, in, in this race. But I'm interested in this horse. Brendan Walsh is a very capable conditioner. And that Illinois Derby is visually very, very impressive, although against lesser. Well, you, you didn't mention the one I'm very interested to see, uh, and, and this will give it away, come over here. Um, you know, Royal Moe's exit uh, due to injury uh, generated a lot of chatter about uh, the pace scenario and, Maybe always dreaming job gets a little easier. Uh, maybe conquest no money leads them all the way. Um, but to me, a name that has not been mentioned uh, is, is a pace uh, player. And I'll read you the comments from his races in Europe. Uh, broke well, soon settled second. Broke well, soon led. Led two furlongs out. Uh, and then in the 2000 guineas where he was beaten only a, a length and a quarter by Churchill, a uh, multiple group one winner, led and set steady gallop. Uh, to me, if Lancaster Bomber comes over here, uh, he's definitely one to consider how uh, he affects the pace. And I think a lot of people are going to dismiss him. Uh, now, granted, his name recognition and the trainer always takes money, but I think in the exotics, to me, he's one that maybe he is able to just sort of gallop around there and hold on for second or third at a big price. For me, he would be the one that if Always Dreaming wins, uh, Lancaster Bomber is going to be the one I'm, I'm hoping to get underneath because I think we're going to get the right prices um, with the logicals if, if he's in there. I think people will be looking elsewhere, uh, and he might go unnoticed. And to me, he's, he's going to be ahead of all these horses turning for home if he's fit and ready. Interesting. Do you happen to have, I know you're a historian when it comes to these kind of statistics for the Kentucky Derby, is there any sort of statistic you're aware of in terms of how uh, foreign shippers have done coming over for the Preakness? Man, it, it's got to be, uh, and I, I had the media guy pulled up here a moment ago, so I'm going to bring it up again. Um, 
you know, the foreign invaders and the Preakness are sort of like Pletcher. They they come over for the Derby, and, you know, we know all about them. And then there's sort of been, you know, to a lesser extent, they've done okay in the Belmont, better than in the Derby, a la Pletcher before this year. Um, but, you know, the Preakness is sort of that, that middle child that, um, you know, gets our, our best three-year-olds unquestionably. Uh, but not necessarily anyone else taking a shot. So um, I'm seeing here if Aiden's even started any. Yeah, I can't. Uh, it, it's it's yeah, interesting. It, it doesn't look remember. like he has. Yeah, and, and which, you know, somewhat makes sense. I mean, it, Coolmore wants to be in the Derby if they can swing it. And then when you think of, you know, the European form, mile and a half sort of sticks out there. So, you know, no surprise, but I know – you know, they talked a big game about really wanting to get him in the Derby and were disappointed in the, the UAE Derby effort, and they ran him in the Guineas, sort of, you know, that's the spot since he wasn't coming to the Derby. But, uh, you know, to me it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I definitely don't love the international horses in the Derby, um, but the Preakness, you know, it's just a totally different different animal. So, for me – uh, he's the one, and, and in part, it's because he's able to to be near the pace. Now, turf racing in Europe's definitely different, um, different style, and you know that miles of straightaway, et cetera. But uh, if he likes to be pushed along, he's the factor for me. Very hard to knock Aiden O'Brien in any way. It would be, you know, like, a, you know, the, him and Bob Baffert to me stick out right now and maybe Todd Pletcher as the, the best in the world that I, at least in my uh, observation. Any concern? I mean, to me, two weeks shipping over from Great Britain and then running two weeks later seems like an awful lot on a horse that already might be up against it in some ways. It's encouraging that you mentioned that he – was a part of the plan for the Kentucky Derby if they could pull it off. You know, then he ran uh, fourth at, at UA, in the UAE Derby to Thunder Snow, and by no means, you know, I know Thunder Snow had had a uh, interesting experience to say the least at Kentucky Der- at the Kentucky Derby, but by no means can you hold that against the field. Uh, he just didn't fire that day. It's not as if he was you know, outrun and finish last. So it's an interesting decision. It's, it's an interesting proposition to me, and one that I'll have to you know, listen into and uh, think about a little more. I, I have a older Brisnet, um, the PPs from a couple of days ago, I believe. Did they, have they named a rider on this horse yet? Uh, no, and, and actually that was uh, going to be my next point, is I know they're they're kind of fond of using their own guys, which uh, certainly I understand. But, you know, I'd almost, I'd love to see O'Brien get cagey and, get an aggressive rider that, that knows uh, American dirt racing better than, you know, many of the world-class riders in, in his arsenal that exceed on turf. But uh, as, as we all know, it's just a totally different game over here with, you know, the, the main track racing and uh, pace dynamics. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who, who does get the call if they decide to make the trip. Uh, but, you know, to me, it's sort of a name where, you know, maybe you get a little clever. And, you know, looking at the Brisk PPs, um, which have pace designations, uh, Conquest Mo Money is the only early runner. Uh, and then you have Classic Empire and Always Dreaming, the, the, the EP types, the presser types. And after that, it's, uh, you know, the closers and deep closers. So 
that that to me made me want to look at you know how Lancaster Bomber runs his races. He's P1 off that Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, which you know is totally different. Uh, and he broke from the rail that day and just kind of got shuffled back early. Um, I would expect him to to be on the pace. And we spent a lot of time talking about a 15 to one horse, but uh, <laughs> you know, to me, to me, from a wagering perspective, he's he's one of the ones. Uh, you know, I'm I'm eager to to hopefully he see come over here and be a part of my plays. Yeah, I mean, and I think he's worth talking about because people don't really know, not that we have, you know, as much information as we have on him in Classic Empire, or, you know, Classic Empire and Always Dreaming, but but people are going to be wanting to, to know a little more about this horse. I remember him from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf and from the UAE Derby, but, you know, I haven't followed him, and uh, I'd like to, probably going to go back, even though I don't know how much uh, it matters in terms of a mile and 316th on the dirt, but, but I'm going to watch that last race against Churchill and just see, you know, what kind of tactics he applied. But one horse that you didn't mention to me that uh, will be a price that will probably, or ideally in the eyes of the connections, be up close also is uh, Cloud Computing. He's had kind of trouble breaking from uh, from in his first three races. Will Memorial, he was off last. But I think if this horse is to have any chance, he's going to have to be up and, up and on the pace early. I think he's listed as a P4 on the, uh, on the Brisnet uh, – calculations, but I, I'm expecting Castellano to try to get him into the race early and often um, if he's going to want to have any chance. I, I think he's a cut below. I could see him moving forward. Trad Brown, a KG trainer, obviously. Uh, he had to win a triple crown race, um, but is definitely capable, as we know. And it's interesting. I know that uh, you can make, you know, Javier Castellano moving to ride for the horse was a decision that which was probably made before the Kentucky Derby. It's just interesting to me that he opted off the Venezuela horse that he's ridden to success so much in Guinevere to ride this horse. I'm not sure if he thinks it's, you know, I'm not sure if it's a business move or, well, it's obviously some sort of business move, but maybe Castellano, the, the you know, country's best jockey, uh, thinks this horse has some upside. So another horse that maybe deserves some consideration at a price underneath. Well, I'll use the uh, Castellano segue to, to say I definitely prefer Gunavera, um to cloud computing, but, uh, you know, who knows with, with the jockey. I mean, Chad Brown is, is a guy, you know, you can make happy, uh, and you ride in New York, you're going to do it. Um, but, you know, Gunavera, he was 11-10 to 10 against Always Dreaming, and granted, Always Dreaming was making a stakes debut, and, you know, we all understand why he wouldn't have been a, a shorter price on Florida Derby Day. But, um, you know, that Fountain Youth came back fast on Brisnet, came back really fast uh, on some other services. And for as poorly as this horse supposedly trained uh, Derby Week, and, and that was pretty consistently held across uh the several clockers who who saw his work and saw the the training coming out of it, he actually ran okay on the Derby. He did pass horses late. Um, you know, he was never completely out of it. Uh, he was really on the, the wrong part of the track for the whole race. Um, not really any trouble where it was like, oh, this took him out of the race. But you know, to me, we, we've seen better from him. And if 
he's training better, like people like what they see and say, oh, he came out of the derby fine, he would be a horse with Mike Smith aboard given the running style, um, you know, which we know Smith loves those those type of moves. Uh, he would be one I, I actually would like as, you know, the fifth or sixth choice. Uh, I just think the, the derby was okay given the reports coming into the race. And, uh, you know, I worry about the pace, but certainly an on-the-board finish seems within his scope. Yeah, you mentioned his trip in the Derby. Uh, He was super wide throughout, which was obviously less than ideal that day. Never even, you know, Castellano never even considered saving ground. It kept him in the clear, which probably in many ways worked to his advantage. But I can certainly forgive the Derby. Like you said, he wasn't training very well. He was up against it in, in, in both in, in many ways uh, based on how the track was playing and how the race played out. Um, my concern with him is he just seems to be going the wrong way. I can watch when I watch those races at, at Gulfstream, I'm, I'm impressed. Even the Florida Derby um, bothered me less than others who talked about how he wasn't gaining on always dreaming. Uh, you know, they mentioned it several times on the telecast, even how he wasn't even gaining on always dreaming late or always dreaming crawled up front compared, you know, compared to what he can do. So I'm not surprised that he wasn't gaining on him late. However, to me, it's just the numbers uh, seem to be going in the wrong direction. I love the Holy Bull. I love the Fountain of Youth. A, they were a mile and a 16th and B, they were a lot long time ago in terms of three-year-old races. So I can see both sides of the argument. Anything Mike Smith gets on these days, you kind of, in big races at least, you have to pay attention to. He just seems to not only be, you know, have that lucky touch right now, but just seems to be fortunate in the mounts he's picking up and obviously he's doing everything right uh, when he is aboard. But it, it just seems like a little bit of a stretch to me. He's had four races, and I just wonder if shorter distances isn't going to be his forte, even if he does get back into form. Yeah, fair question for sure. Uh, And to me, it's all, um, you know, looking at the exacto will pays and and the win price um, on on where I land with him come Saturday afternoon. Uh, Last alphabetically and seemingly last in our hearts, Scott, um, we didn't touch on senior investment or term of art much, both closers and both never remotely fast enough on Brisnet. you know the my uh, my strong intent to use all in the Derby in the fourth spot and most of my super plays um, cost me, uh, whereas others took advantage of doing, being willing to toss others. And I kind of feel like if I'm going to learn from that mistake, I might put it into practice here. Um, I mean, I guess the issue is they're closers, so if certain horses don't run their race, maybe they clunk up for fourth. Um, but I mean, gosh, they're they're just both clearly slower than the rest of this group. They are, they are. Senior investment is a horse that interests me. Uh, on a, from a visual perspective, you've got a nice turn of foot for uh, Ken McPeak for Circle Stables. Like you said, though, just just a little slow, and, and as much as anything, is I don't really know if a mile and three sixteenths is going to make him any faster. If anything, it might make him slower. I, I would I would probably be leery, though, if I'm using one of the logical two or one on top to take away the chance of busting things open a bit 
in the back end uh, when I have question marks about so many of these, especially because uh, one of my, my best Preakness memory is catching badge for third in the trifecta when I like charismatic at like 65 to one when I was in my 20s. And I'll just never forget, you know, that feeling of, of using the all in a right spot in the Preakness. So maybe I'm a little biased. As far as term of art, of course, that I know well from being out here, he, um, he could plot along for fourth very easily, too. He always seems to be slower than the horses he's facing. I know uh, Emily Gullitson from Optics kind of likes this horse. I wouldn't necessarily say to win the Preakness, but just, just in general likes the horse. Um, I respect Emily's work, and I know that she is pretty good when it comes to seeing if horses can get further ground, and I, I don't think she has issues with that. I know she'll probably wish, if she was going to use the horse, that the horse would have or there'd be more speed in front, but um, I would use these horses for fourth. That's, a, that's the extent that I would say. I, I could see if things go uh, the right way for them, I could see them passing a number of horses, especially horses coming out of the Kentucky Derby that may just be tired from the from the voyage of two weeks ago. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think uh, really a discussion discussion worth having on a general handicapping topic is, um, you know, page dynamics and reconciling that with, with the speed numbers. I mean, raw numbers, you know, neither is in the top four, so to speak, of this group. But, um, you know, when you look at how the race might shape up, if you think Lancaster Bomber goes and fades and you think Conquest Mo Money goes and fades and one of the two favorites, uh, you know, can't, get the job done, uh, well, you've already eliminated three, um, and then you're talking about, you know, term of our running past, you know, looking at Lee later, hence. So um, it makes a lot of sense to not uh, not throw them out completely. And the other difference is, you know, the Preakness, uh, there's 10, 11 horses in the field, whereas in the Derby you can throw three or four out and you're still using 15 in the fourth spot. So... Um, big difference there, but uh, on the other hand, uh, it's the same difference everyone else has, and uh, if you're able to have some conviction and, you know, say, these are my horses, uh, you can increase your ROI if you're right, so um, always the, the questions horse players should ask in any race, uh, but in the, you know, Preakness and Triple Crown events with these huge pools, and the legitimate chance to go in with, you know, knowing that scores have happened in the past, um, always questions you want to get right at the end. And I missed in the Derby, so hopefully the, the Preakness won't be the same. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see where I, where I end up after the draw in terms of which which horses I want, want to run well and which I won't. Yeah, that, that, that brings me to a, a point that I was thinking about. I know everybody, including myself, is very um, – teasing quite a bit on a 20-horse field on the draw. Now that we're down to a much lesser or much more normal-sized field, is there any horse or horses outside of maybe always Dreaming or Classic Empire drawing the rail that you will significantly downgrade or upgrade based on, you know, where they draw on Wednesday morning, I believe it is? Uh, yeah, I would say... Um... You know, I definitely don't think the ra I know the the, ra the rail at the Derby I'm I'm not a fan of, and really looking at Lee was one of a handful that 
was fine there because of their running style. Um, the, the Preakness, I definitely don't buy into that being a problem. And, and I know horsemen have said they don't want the rail there either. But, you know, I feel if you, if you break cleanly, then it's not an issue, which, like you said, with Classic Empire, here's a horse who seems to create his own trouble both in races and in training. Um, so, you know, I, I would say the rail is probably not his best spot in a, in a bigger field. Um, but otherwise, I would say I'd rather have the rail than the far outside for most of these horses. Like always dreaming, I, you know, if you're his camp, you don't want the 11 in my mind. I, I think that always dreaming's post is, is almost irrelevant. Um, but, you know, I hear some of the top horsemen discuss not wanting the rail. Bob Baffert all the time discusses it. And I think it's just that safeguard from if you, you break poorly or, if, you know, there's just, there's more that can go wrong if, if things don't start out perfectly, I think is what it, what it is with, with a lot of the horses. With always dreaming, I mean, he's broken, he broke second in the Derby, third in the Florida Derby, first in the, in his race before that, and third in Tampa off the bench. So I don't, I think this horse, I don't think that, you know, there'll be a little bit of hoopla if he draws the rail or if he draws the outside. To me, if he draws the outside, I think he, you know, it's a long straightaway to get to the first turn at, at Pimlico. I don't think that's going to have any impact on him. I think, I think, like I've mentioned a little bit before, that, He's gonna. It's his race to lose. Obviously, I'm not saying anything special there, but if he runs anything near the, the two races he's run recently, I just think they're running for second um, in this spot. But but yeah, I just I'm looking at the field and I just I guess if you're a closer like looking at Lee, Term of Art, um, Gunavera, hence I mean I guess you want to draw further inside. One horse that if you're interested in that I would not want to draw the rail is Cloud Computing because of his issues getting out of the gate as a tactical speed horse. I think the rail would be a, a big disadvantage for him. Uh, Conquest Mo Money has, has run all five of his races from well off the rail, so I think he's probably most comfortable uh, with that kind of on-the-lead but stalking trip. Um, I know that maybe he'll have to try to take the lead against Always Dreaming, but I, this might just be always dreaming right to the lead, especially if he draws inside. I, I don't know. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he's the most likely winner, no, no doubt. Um, and and if for whatever reason, if he floated above even money, that would probably change my wagering strategy a little bit. Though I'm, I've already been locked in uh, in most of the multis. But uh, what would you say fair odds on always dreaming is? I mean, if he's six to five or higher, I think I have to consider a win wager, even though it's not at all in my plans. I think even money's fair if you like him. I mean, it just seems it seems like he's got a lot of the, the right things. I know there's statistics and things you can turn to, but if you're just looking at the horse, he just there's not there's not a lot to not like. The one thing I'll agree on, I like with you in terms of general wagering strategy is. I wasn't on this horse last time at nine to two. More so, I look at it when it's 15, 20 to one shots on a regular day that I don't have, and then to come back and bet them at a short price is something I rarely will do. But I know that you've mentioned kind of not, I don't want to say you're not against him by any stretch, but what is it that you're leaning on outside of the Pletcher angle to, if you're playing against him in the, you know, in the horizontals or, uh, or even on top in the verticals? Is it, 
Is it the hope that the track carried them? Is it, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to, I, I, the first thing I do when I handicap a race of any kind is look to make a case against the favorite. And, you know, it's just, it's just difficult for me. He's moved, he's progressed beautifully for Pletcher. He's gotten better. He's not hard. He hasn't raced too often, uh, like some horses perhaps at this stage of their three-year-old career. It's just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking for reasons to not, to not like this horse and I'm struggling. Yeah, well, for me, I'm hoping he's, you know, 4 to 5 or 7 to 10, which recent history says that's probably the price we're looking at. Um, and, you know, if you love him, I can't even talk you off that price because this is the type of horse, and I said this with American Pharaoh, not saying always dreamings at that level, but, um, I mean, this is the type of horse that if this were a grade 3 at Belmont and, you know, we were looking at this race, he'd be 2 to 5. Um, so if, if you like them, th- these are the races you want to bet them in because you're getting your price. Now, for me, you know, looking for a reason to beat them, uh, I go back to, all right, the Florida Derby, he beat State of Honor by five, and, you know, that horse is, is not of this kind. Gunavera really didn't get to run his race. He took a left-hand turn out of the gate to get the rail, which – to me, he he just he spotted the field so many lengths. I m- would have much preferred him be wide with a gradual build-up to his running style than what he did at the break. So, yeah, he looked good in the Florida Derby. Okay, number 102. Others have run faster, including Classic Empire. But, you know, to me, it's not the world-beating performance that some might think. And then the Derby... Uh, you know, the track condition, and now we get Pletcher in two weeks. I mean, to me, all of that bakes into willing to take a shot uh, at four to five. And if he wins, uh, I'll be less surprised than I was two weeks ago or a week and a half ago um, when I legitimately thought, okay, we can beat this horse, and I was wrong. Um, you know, certainly now he's he's proven himself to me finally, not that he need, anyone ever needs to do that, but – um, you know, he's had four races this year. The two big wins, blowout wins, did not come back all that fast. And some would say, well, he didn't need to run that fast. It was a maiden and an entry-level allowance. And to a certain extent, that's true. But, I mean, a horse like Songbird last year, who people said, oh, well, her races aren't that fast, or Zenyatta, people said that. Those races actually were fast. I mean, they weren't grade one, 110 type numbers that we saw when they actually won or finished second in the biggest races of their career, but they were fast. I mean, they were as fast as always Dreaming ran in the Derby. His maiden and entry-level allowance were not fast. So, to me, all of that adds up to being willing to, to take another shot at, a, at the shortest price he'll have been in his three race, three grade one races. Did that make sense? And, and as a ga- from a gambling perspective, not a predicting perspective, that that certainly is something to, to keep in mind. I, I guess when I lean on doing that, to me, leaning it, for folks that are thinking about leaning on Classic Empire to be that you know substitute to try to beat them, it doesn't doesn't necessarily make that much sense to me. Um, but I could see trying to beat them in the horizontals with some of the other horses because if you beat the top two in the horizontal wagers you know the the multiplier will be will be outstanding and it's something that i'm pro you know i struggle with still at this you know 20 plus years later of playing is you know when when to single a favorite i'm not a guy that 
really loves fav- using favorites all that much. I'm pretty stubborn. I, you know, I'll pick them to win the race, but wagering on them is another perspective. Even if they're, you know, something that you're better at than I am is, you know, okay, this horse should be even money. He's seven to five. You know, I'm going to bet him hard. Whereas I'm kind of going with the conviction. He's not going to be, you know, worth me betting on. Um, so yeah, I can definitely see that. It's just, I feel like it's a stab in general in, to try to pick who it is that's going to beat them. If you can, you know, when the card comes out on Saturday, if I can find a couple other horses that I really like in the build-up races to the Preakness, for the, I'm not sure of the wagering uh, menu there, but pick four, pick five, whatever it may be at uh, Pimlico on Saturday, then that would be, you know, one way to approach the race if, uh, if you don't like always dreaming is, is spreading deep. But I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just struggling. I feel like you're, you're, you're not only counting on always dreaming to not fire his B plus shot, but you're also counting on somebody else to, to move forward unless it's multiplier who, according to the Brisbane numbers, had, had a, you know, has the best, best number period, or other than class, best three year old number, right, in the Illinois Derby in this field. That's right. One oh four. Well, that's pretty impressive, and that's definitely worth noting. I don't know how that compares to uh, other speed figure or speed ratings. I haven't really dove that deep into it, but visually, he, he ran great. So that's that's interesting just to note. But you know, others will argue that he has, is likely to regress off that number, perhaps. Uh, last last question. I'll get, get you out of here on this, and I uh, know you and I both will have lots more to say on on the blog and and social media, et cetera. But um, as of right now, do you see yourself doing anything with both of the top two running out? I could see putting. I can first off. I, I see my exposure to this race in race being very limited, probably with the approach of wagering a little to hopefully make a lot um, or somewhat of a lot. So what I'll probably the majority of my bankroll at the moment will probably have always dreaming on top, as I mentioned, with some some price horses, not classic empire underneath. I could see myself using maybe 10% of my bankroll, maybe 20% taking a shot. Historically, though, it just does not work. I, I, I've tried this move more times than I should have probably at this point to, to think that, oh, it's two weeks later. Maybe these horses will regress. Maybe it'll be chaos. That's for the Belmont stakes from, right, from what, you know, what recent history tells us. It's just really hard to see both of them running out of even the exacta, let alone the trifecta. But the upside is, is if you can pull it off, you don't need it to happen for another 20 years, probably. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's just, I mean, when you and and when you talk about the money needing to to spend to cover a both out proposition, I think if if I had a really strong conviction on an alternative winner, I would consider it. But the fact I don't, I mean, even the horses I mentioned, Lancaster Bomber, Gunavera, uh, you know, maybe maybe a win play for me at, at the right price and not saying I'm discounting them from that possibility completely. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's hard to be like, oh, these, these are the horses and I'm going to spend – you know, hundreds of dollars making sure I hit the try if, if one of them is in and one of the top two are out. Um, 
you know, I'm pretty much probably going to need both to happen uh, to score, and, and I'll scale my play accordingly. So, you know, I'm not diluting my payoff if my opinion's right, but I'm sort of with you. I mean, the, the history on the Preakness is clear that it's it's formful enough that, that one of these is going to run in. Yeah, and, and I guess, I guess, I just, the, 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 the tactics of the race, you know, when Orb was in the race, you know, you had the, the thought that, okay, well, he's got to, you know, maybe he, he maybe even if he is the best horse, he, he could encounter trouble from the back, you know, or something like that, which could obviously happen with a horse like looking at Lee. But with Always Dreaming and even Classic Empire with the race shape, it just seems like they both, unless they create the trouble themselves, should just get real ideal trips. So, you know, while I think there's angles to play against Classic Empire, if Always Dreaming doesn't finish in the top two or three, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to think Classic Empire does not. Yeah, and you know, I don't know a ton about the connections. Obviously, to talk to Mark and and Norm a lot about the horse, and you know, talk to him in, in my thoroughbred times days as well. But I mean, really, they're. Their approach at this level, um, they they do seem to go to races where they you know think they have a horse who can fire his best shot. I mean, State of Honor, um, yeah, he he faded, but I mean he ran. He was he was ready to run, and he ran as you know fast as he could, as far as he could, um, and and just wasn't good enough. But like even in that situation, you know they they came with a horse who was able to do some running. So. Uh, to me, that you know gives added confidence that okay, maybe he's not good enough to beat Always Dreaming, but you know, gosh, uh, I mean, even his worst race, not counting when he threw the jock, the the Holy Bull, when he was a bad third at odds on, um, I mean, really wasn't awful. It was better than Irish War Cry's bad race in the Fountain of Youth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the one thing with Classic Empire that, um, you know, I don't know the connections personally, and, you know, a lot of it's, you know, secondhand information, obviously, I'm reading, but there does seem to be a different level of pride coming out of them than I've really ever seen before, where they feel like there's a little bit something to prove that he's the best horse. You know, I'm pretty surprised that they're running in the race, based on history of horses that ran like him, you know, I would think that maybe resting him up and taking a shot at the Belmont, but it's either going to go one way or another with this horse. I, I, you know, either he's that good and they know it and that, that he could fire right back and give this, give the uh, Derby winner a shot or they're, or they're, you know, I don't know, maybe you have further, more, further you know, information to add, but to me, I've seen a couple quotes that make me think that there's kind of this revenge or, you know, pride factor in there with this horse. Um, that I haven't really seen them speak about. Granted, they don't really, you know, I don't really hear them speak on their, you know, grade three turf horses like I do this horse. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I actually think you, you're on to something. Um, you know, with this horse, uh, I've been a fan since the summer, and, uh, you know, when he threw his jock in the, the hopeful, I was, you know, like, what the heck, what's going on with this horse? And then... Um, there was definitely some swagger once they figured, okay, we got this figured out. Um, and coming into the, the Keeneland race, I said, I'm going to make the biggest win bet of my life on this horse. And part of that was I 
sense confidence from the connections that, you know, they, you know, I don't want to say embarrassed, but, you know, they definitely felt like they never got their shot at the hopeful, which obviously they didn't. I mean, the horse was a DNF. Um, and he was ready to, to run in the the Keeneland race. And um, it's sort of that, that same vibe now. Now, always dreaming's better than anything he's run against besides maybe not this time. Um, so, you know, still have to go out there and earn it. But I'm, I'm sort of with you. I, I think the connections feel like, you know, we, we're where we want to be, and if we're not good enough, that's fine. But, um, you know, we're, we're taking our best shot. Interesting. Yeah, I could, I could see it going either way. I, I do, I do want to compliment them or commend them for, for taking on the horse. A lot of times we see these horses um, skip the Preakness, which is, which has hurt the race in, in my eyes and in many eyes, uh, year in and year out. It's nice to see that other than the top two finishers uh, or a couple of stragglers, that you get a horse like Classic Empire who ran fourth off a troubled trip to come back because if classic empire is not in this race, it really loses a lot of its flavor, uh, from, from a fan perspective. I mean, then it's just a matter of, you know, I might not be a big fan of classic empire in this race, beating always dreaming, but, but, but many are, and that kind of adds to the excitement of the race. Well, I'm certainly excited, uh, more so after, uh, this fantastic conversation, uh, really enjoyed it. Scott, uh, got, through most most of the all, all of the field, um, wait some wagering thoughts and just general thoughts as well. So I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was good to dive in, get over that Kentucky Derby hangover that we we kind of had, and looking forward yep. to a uh, big week in Baltimore. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, James Scully will be in Baltimore, so looking forward to his uh, dispatches from the road. Uh, I'll be at Churchill on Saturday. Are you going to the Great Race Place? I will be going to the great race place in my house. No, I, I won't be. Uh, I'll be. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be watching it on my uh, my two TVs here and working from home. It's just an easier uh, way to 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 go about it, and I get to see the races a lot better. You know, spoken like someone who doesn't have kids for sure. Uh, I get a lot <laughs> more work done away from the house, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean, though. Uh, well, uh, you'll also be cheering on your spotlight selection, so uh, looking forward to seeing what you have to say about the uh, blockbuster cards at Pimlico and especially the Preakness. Um, next hurdle is the post-draw, so uh, we'll regroup then. Thanks for the time, Scott. Thanks, Ed. All right, Scott Shapiro, everyone. I'm Ed DeRosa. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with another How to Bet the Preakness Stakes podcast. This has been episode one. Uh, hopefully uh, the hair of the dog conversation got us uh, through the Derby hangover uh, now that we're inside a week to the Preakness. But it uh, looks like fantastic weather, fantastic racing all week at Pimlico. Uh, and we'll be here all week as well to discuss it. Thanks, everyone. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.